I've been so encouraged. You know, sometimes you can't see the uh, forest for the trees. Have you ever been there? Yeah. You, you, you focus in on all the wrong things. And um, are, are, I, I guess as people, sometimes we, get, we focus in on negative things, right? Y'all with, you with me? Like a hundred good things could happen, one bad thing happens, and the thing that you think about the most is the one bad thing. And, and so, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you get so busy um, that, that you think that you, you can't see up from down, left to right, you pass yourself going. And I'm going to say that I've been so encouraged to see so many people, so many of us as a church come together and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, step up, I'm going to take on a role, I'm going to spend time serving each other, serving the Lord and serving people um, by holding a door or fixing a meal or fixing a plate. All the, man, I'm going to tell you, what a blessing. Um, and, and, and for the ones who don't take that opportunity to serve, we have lots more that are coming, and we'll be asking you, so get ready. We're going to give you the opportunity to say no. We're going to give you the opportunity to say no. And so, so uh, we're going to ask you, and then uh, you just have to, if you don't feel like that's where God is leading, you should say no. Um, but we're also going to give you the opportunity to say yes. yes. There you go, to say yes. Some of you got it. And so I'm um, so excited. I am glad that you're here. I'm Scott Stringer. I'm the pastor here if you're visiting with us. And we are glad that you're here. We're in the middle, or really very beginning, but kind of the beginning, middle of a study of salvation from the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We'll finish up in 4 a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase 4 for us towards the end. Um, and Romans 3 kind of is this, this climax that, that we've been working on towards 1, 2, and 3, and 4. These, these four, this is kind of like, okay, here's the idea. Here's the big idea for you. Remember, he's writing this to the book of uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, he's writing this to the uh, church in Rome, and it's a church that is, is divided, divided over theology, divided over methodology, all those things. He's, they're divided because you have a group of, of Gentiles and a group of, of Jewish leaders, and, and they are debating of what it means to be saved, and how are you saved? How do you become a follower of Christ? So they're debating this, and some of the, uh, the uh, Jewish leaders are saying, yes, it's, it, salvation is through Jesus, but you also have to keep all these laws. You have to keep all these rules. And now you have the Gentiles or the non-Jews are saying, well, no, this faith is coming through Jesus, and we don't feel like we have to keep all these, these laws, all these, these traditions. Now, now, for us, how this is important for us is because we grew up in a culture of tradition. Maybe not a Jewish tradition, but still a tradition. And we also grew up in a culture of rules, especially this, this idea of religious rules. Now, I'm not saying these rules aren't a good thing, but, but, but at the same time, they can be a bad thing if that's all you're doing is living according to these rules, okay? Um, so we live in a culture of rules and traditions, and sometimes we lean too heavily on those rules and traditions to save us. Like, like, we were like, okay, because I've done this, because I've done this, because I've done these, because I followed these rules, because I've done these activities, then I know that I'm going to die. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that's not what Scripture says at all. Last week we saw this because it says you cannot be saved by the law. 
And the Jewish people at the time, they were trying to live according to the law, the Old Testament, saying, if we live according to the law, then we will be saved. And what we saw in Romans 2, it says, in the beginning of Romans 3, it says, you can't live according to the law, you're going to break the law. And we discovered that all of us are lawless, and we all are lawbreakers. And because we're lawbreakers, we can't be saved by the law, but the law shows us how we, how we have come short of who God is, short of what God has called us to be. That we've all, the word is sin, that we've all sinned. We'll see that again today, just a little bit. But he focused in on a different part, okay? So in Romans 3, starting verse 21. But now God has shown us his saving power without the help of the law. Now, for the Jewish people, this is a, this is a huge statement. They're like, hold on, salvation apart from law. This, this can't be right. And so, so he continues to make his case. But the law and the prophets tell us about it. So the law doesn't save us, but they tell us about how God's going to save us, what method is going to take place. So in 22, we're made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. This happens to all who believe. It's not different for the Jews than for the Gentiles. Everyone has sinned. No one measured up to God's glory. In 24, the free gift of God's grace makes us right with him. Christ Jesus paid the price to set us free. God gave Christ as a sacrifice to pay for sins through the spilling of his blood. So God forgives the sins of those who have faith. God did all this to prove that what he does is right. He is a God of mercy. So he did not punish Uh, He did not punish for their sins the people who lived before Jesus lived. God did all this to prove in our own time that he does what is right. He also makes right uh, with himself those who believe in Jesus. Now, there's some things there, and sometimes for us, it just kind of runs together. Let's break this down. What Paul is saying here is that we are saved by faith in Jesus are through faith in Jesus, whichever way you want to say it, but we're saved by faith. Not just faith, but a faith in Jesus. Now, we talked about this uh, again a few weeks, weeks ago, but let's make sure we understand the idea of faith, okay? Faith is not just a belief in something. You can believe something and it not change your life at all. You can have the knowledge of something and it doesn't affect the way that you live. That's not faith. For example, that chair, a chair that you're sitting in, if you never sat in that chair, you don't have faith in it. You can say, yeah, I know that it's a chair. Yes, I know it's used to sit. Yes, I know its purpose. Yes, I understand that it's probably going to be comfortable. Yes, I understand it's going to give me rest. rest. But if you never sat down in it, you never show your faith. You never show that you have a belief, and that belief leads to action. Faith is a belief, yes, but it's a belief that leads you to be different, to live different, to act different, or to do something. So faith is this, this action word for us. It's not just a knowledge. It's not just something that we, that we have in our mind, but it changes the way that we even see our life. If you don't have that, then that's not faith. And so Paul's saying we're saved by faith a belief that changes the way that we understand everything about our life that causes us to react different, causes us to do things different, and in fact, calls us to action. And it's because we trust 
that Jesus has called us to these things. He says that's what saves you. That, that the law that you've counted on, that you've had all these rules and all these traditions, they don't save you. Last week he said those things condemn you. Those things show you how sinful you are. So the law cannot save us. He's saying, again, just to recap, for us, we live here, when we think about the law, I want us to think about maybe the Old Testament, but more than that, this legalism that we sometimes carry with us. So all those things, those check marks that you have, those things don't save you. I've done this. That, uh, you know, I've gone to church all of my life. That doesn't save you. I've read through the Bible six times. Uh, that doesn't save you. Like, I give every time the altar and play comes by. Uh, that doesn't save you. What saves you is that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only box that has to be checked. That you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy, uh, or in the book of Timothy, we see that faith is demonstrated through action, in fact. And so some of these other boxes will be checked to demonstrate that you have faith. But sometimes, this is where it gets tricky. Sometimes we're trying to buy our way into heaven. And God says, I don't want you to buy your way into heaven. I want you to do it because you love me. I want you to do these things because you have faith in me. Let's do it. Let me show you how it would work this way. Let's say one of these young guys in here. You're trying to win over a girl. You saw her from a distance. And it's just like that moment. Whoa. Moment. Was that on key? I don't think it was. It was like some key. I don't know. Anyway, so um, anyway, so it was that moment. And so now you're stri- you're, 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 you kind you kind of become a semi stalker in the sense that you know you're buying things and you're always where they are. You're trying to convince them that you're the one. You're trying to win them over. You see how that works? And that's how some of us see faith and religion. We're trying to win God over. And if you're doing all these things, these religious things, these religious activities, and if you're following all these traditions to win God over, then you will not be saved. Here's the difference. So men that are married, y'all were so romantic, aren't they, wives? What was that? I heard a... (laughs) But sometimes, men, we just decide we're going to be romantic. Because we love our wives, not because we're in trouble, but because we just want to, to, to show the love that we have for her. So maybe you're at the store and you see something that she likes. And it's weird things when you get married, isn't it? Strange things. Like, like you're walking by the, and men don't just walk by the scented candles, or most of us don't. But you're walking by and you see a scented candle that you think she would like. And it's, oh, I grabbed that for her. It's not something you would normally buy, is it? And you take it home and, 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 and you just give it to her for no reason. She's like, what is this for? No reason. I just love you. Like, like this action comes from love. I'm not trying to win you over. I'm not trying to make up with you. I'm not trying to buy you in any way. I just love you. And because I love you so much, that love drove me just to get this to get this candle for you or maybe one day your your wife you know there she is she's been working hard you know she's off and you're off for the day 
So you decide, I'm going to do, I'm going to wash the dishes. What a miracle, right, ladies? And so you wash all the dishes, you dry them, you put them up, you clean the kitchen up. And she comes home, what happened? Like, I washed the dishes. You're so excited? Because we don't want to do that. She's like, why? Because I love you. I'm not trying to win you over. I'm not trying to do anything to, to persuade you. I'm doing this for one reason. I'm motivated by love. And this is the kind of action and faith that we're talking about in Jesus Christ. Not a faith, not an action, not this, these traditions and, and religious activity that we're going through to try to win him over. But activity and, and things that we, like when we give, we don't give saying, I'm going to buy God. We give because he has given me everything. And out of my appreciation and out of all the things that he's given me, I'm going to return him. I'm going to show him that I trust him and that I love him. I'm going to show him my devotion to him. It's driven by faith. I know that I can trust my Jesus. And so, so the law can't save you, but faith can. Now, how, how does this happen? He tells us right here. He says, hey, what happened is that Christ Jesus paid the price to set us free. How? Through, uh, in 25, God gave uh, Christ as a sacrifice to pay for the sins, the things that we've done wrong, through the spilling of his blood. Not through your right actions or the things that you're trying to buy God. God cannot forgive you because you give your tithe. God's not going to forgive you because you come to church all the time. God's not going to make you right with him because um, you give lots of money to the poor. God forgives us and saves us for really one purpose, one reason is because of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sin. We don't get forgiven for what we do. We're forgiven because of what he did. We get our sins, this big word, we get justified. We get our, our sins wiped away, blotted out. And some of us are like, I don't, I don't quite get it. But So let's look at it like this. Let's say you owe lots of money, millions of dollars. Uh, you know, most of us in here can't pay that. Let's say billions. Nobody in here can pay that. If y'all can, you, you're not tithing. Okay? Okay? So billions of dollars you owe. So you can't pay it. So now you're in debt. But someone who can pay it, whoever that is, walks into the bank and writes a check for all the debt that you owe, and now you are justified. You're made right with the bank. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross, that sin demanded a price, and that price was death. Right? And so, so we have a debt that... We can't pay. We can't be made right with God. And so Jesus goes to the cross and spills his blood, then dies and writes a check for all of our debt. And now we can be made right with God because he paid our debt for us. He paid the price of our sins, the sins of the world. It says that Jesus or that God poured the sins of the world out on Jesus. So much so it says that he, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. For us. 
and the sins of the world, our sins were poured out on Jesus as he was on the cross and he died our death and was resurrected. And now we can experience life and be justified, we have a right relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us if we place our faith in him. Why? And I love this. Sometimes we, we miss it because we don't see God this way. It tells us in 25 towards the end, it says, because he is a God of mercy. Man, we don't, we don't see God that way a lot of times. Actually, we see God as a God of wrath. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because of the tradition that we grew up in. Or, or maybe it, it's just our culture. We see God as this, this angry just all-powerful God that's just angry all the time, wanting to strike us all down. But it says here that God is a God of mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What we deserve is hell. What we deserve is to experience the punishment for the sins that we've committed. What What we deserve is to be separated from him forever. That's what we deserve. But because of Jesus Christ and the spilt blood of Jesus Christ, it says that he is a God of mercy. We do not get what we deserve. If we place our faith in Jesus Christ, a trust that leads us to think and act differently, then we don't get hell. We don't get the separation from God. In fact, we get what other places of Scripture would say, his grace Grace is getting what you do not deserve. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. So not getting the punishment, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. We just said that you can't be saved by the law. You can't do enough good things to be saved. That we're all lawless. That we all should experience the the, uh, flames of hell. But because God is a God of mercy, he doesn't give us that. And he's a God of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us a place with him, a place of rest, a place where he will be, a place that's free from death and mourning and sickness. In fact, Scripture says he'll wipe away every tear. Sadness is gone. He does all these things. He gives us this, and we don't deserve it. He gives us this and we don't deserve it because our God is a God of mercy. So the rules that we have, those rules can't save us. The traditions that we have can't save us because you belong to a church and church membership. That Just because you are a church member doesn't save you. Sometimes we even think because I grew up in a Christian home, growing up in a Christian home doesn't save you. Those things don't save you from the punishment that comes or the price of sin. Those things can't save you. The law cannot save you. The only thing that can save us is the blood of Jesus Christ that comes from a merciful God. Well, it goes on a little further here in 27. Let's read. He says, if this is true, if we're not saved by what we do, because All the things that we do, the law shows that we're lawless. So if we can't be saved because of what we do, and we're only saved because of what Jesus did, here's the question. So who can brag? Who can walk around and say, ah, ha, 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 look at me? That's the question. Who can brag? He goes, no one. 
Are people saved by the law that requires them to obey? Not at all. They are saved because the law that requires faith. We firmly believe that a person who is made right with God because, uh, I'm sorry, we, are firmly be- we firmly believe that a person is made right with God because of their faith. Their what? Their faith. They're not saved by obeying the law. Why? Because we can't obey the law. We're lawbreakers. And in 29, are, are is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of Gentiles? Yes, he is their God too. There's only one God. When those who are circumcised believe in him, this is the belief that leads to action, okay, believes in him, he makes them right with himself. Suppose those who are not circumcised believe in him. Then God also makes them right with himself. Does faith make the law useless? Not at all. We agree with the law. So what are you saying here? First, do we have Anything to brag about? And the answer is no. Although religion puts on us or tries to teach us that we're superior to other people. In fact, you see this in a, in a great illustration. And in the New Testament, it tells the story of, of this religious man, this Pharisee that walks in uh, to the temple to pray. And then this this sinner, they call it sinner, tax collector, comes and prays. And the, and the old sinner bows his head, beats his chest. He's talking about, God, have mercy on me. What a great prayer to pray to a God of mercy. And then the religious leader, the religious man in the back says, Lord, thank God I'm not like that guy. That was his prayer. And Jesus goes, which one do you think went away justified, right with God? He said, he said, not the religious guy. But religion teaches us to do that, doesn't it? Religious te- religion teaches us to look around and really compare ourselves to one another and, and say, I'm, I'm so much better than this person. And the truth is, you're bragging on yourself, and God says you have nothing to brag about. In other places of Scripture, it says this, if you see anything good in me, it's because of Jesus if you have anything good in this life, it's because of Jesus. All good gifts come from the Creator. All good things in you come from Jesus. So, so we have nothing to brag about. If we're going to brag, let us brag in our Jesus. Let us brag in our Christ, the one who shed his blood for us. If we're going to brag, let's brag in those things. And then he says this. There's only... One God for all people. He, he makes a very good distinction. He goes, look, is he only the God for the Jews or is he also God of the Gentiles? And he, he goes into the circumcision again. And if you weren't here last week, circumcision was the sign that God gave the Jewish people to say you are set apart. You are a holy people. I have a plan for you. But what had happened is that the Jewish people had started to rely on this, that that circumcision being part of, the, uh, of Israel, being part of the Jewish nation is what would save them, not faith. Just being part of. Now, th- look, that's like here in the South, being part of a church. That's what people think in their mind. Being part of a church will save you. I'm part of a church. I've been baptized, but I hadn't followed Jesus 
ever since, then you're not a believer. Believer talks about following Christ. That's always been the call, follow me. And they're like, hey, because I have this sign of circumcision, you can compare it to a sign of baptism here. Because I have this sign of circumcision, then I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good. And Paul's saying it has nothing to do with your circumcision, it has to do with your faith. This idea, faith and following Christ go hand in hand because faith is a trust that leads to action. Following Christ shows your faith. Remember, you're not trying to win his love, right? You're doing these things because of his love or because of your love for him. So there's only one God for all people. It has nothing to do with where you came from, what traditions you follow. In fact, we saw in chapter 2 and in the first part of chapter 3, it doesn't matter if you understand the written law in the Old Testament or if you have a basic or not even, uh, not even the written law at all, the written law that's on your heart. It doesn't matter if you understand all those things. What matters is have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you walking with Him? Are you sitting in the chair or are you just talking about the chair? Are you sitting in the chair or are you just telling stories about how other people sit in the chair? This is the idea of following Christ and having faith in Jesus. So it's a really good question for us. If we're saved by faith, does your life demonstrate faith? Or have you, you know, we have some really bad sayings when we talk about following Christ or accepting the call of Jesus on our life. We say things like this, I've added Jesus to my life. You've heard anybody say that? You don't add Jesus to your life. He becomes your life. He is your life. If all, you ever, if all you've done is add him to, that means you hadn't taken anything away. And the whole message is to repent and follow. Repent, die to yourself daily. You've got to subtract something. You don't just add Jesus. You have to subtract the sinfulness and the sinful nature, the sinful heart. And then you let Christ take over all those things. That's what it is to have faith. You don't just add. No, we... Let Jesus come into our heart. We say things like that. Because here for us, our heart is just this idea of a place of love. The heart. We even make those little, I can't do it, the little heart. There it is, little heart with our hands. Real men don't do that, by the way. Don't do that. I'm just doing it as an illustration. Uh, little cut-out hearts. Because heart for us is this place of feeling and sometimes all we think of is yes I love God I have this feeling but it's more than that it's not just accepting him into our heart it's that we allow him to take over our entire thought process not just our emotions but our thoughts and our emotions and our our desires and our motives not just this you're not saved because you cry at church 
Sometimes that's what people think. I, I, I'm saved because I cry at church. If all you do is cry at church then, and you never follow him, you're not saved. God's trying to save you. He's trying to get your attention, but you're not paying attention. So you don't just let him in your heart. He takes over your life. He's a king. And his place is to rule. Sometimes we have this idea that Jesus is almost like a genie. We think that, you know, if I would just call on him, he's always there to rescue me. He's not just there to rescue you. He's also there to confront you. Yes, he will rescue, but he's also there to confront you and correct you and grow you. To make you more like him. If all you ever do is call on him when you're in trouble, you're not following him at all. You're in trouble. You need to call on him to save your life, to be your king, not your lifeguard. If Jesus is just your lifeguard, you're in trouble. He's got to be your king. Your king. And so as we, as, as we kind of close, I want you to... Just later, to read chapter 4. Because Paul goes into the life of Abraham. Because he's talking with the Jewish people, right? So he goes into the life of, of, of Abraham, and Abraham has this call on his life. And the call on his life is a call that, that was done or made before Abraham even had the circumcision. You know, what the, you know, the Jewish people relying on this sign, this this. This outward sign, this outward thing that they did. And he goes in and says, hey, the reason that Abraham was saved, he was saved because he had faith. How did he have faith? Well, look at his life. God called him and said, hey, I need you to leave your land where you live. I need you to go to a place and I'll tell you when you get there. And what did Abraham do? He said, okay, I'll do it. He goes, a faith, a trust that led to action. Then he told him some things like this. He said, hey, I know you're up in age, and I know that you and your wife, your wife can't have children, and I know you're old, but you're going to be a father of a great nation. Listen to this, okay? He's old. He doesn't have any children, and he doesn't even have any land. How are you going to be a nation without land or without a son? And not just that, he takes them out and he says, hey, look at the stars. Your, your descendants are going to be as great and as many as the stars. And he takes them to the, to the ocean or where the sand is. And he goes, look at the sand. Your descendants are going to be as great as the sands on the seashore. And he didn't have any children. And he didn't have any land. And he took him to this place, and the place that he took him was a place that we find out later that's full of large cities and great big people. And God said, this is going to be your land. This will be what you possess. And Abraham said, I believe. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm too old to have kids. I don't have a land, and the people that are here are too big, and there's too many. I don't even have a child. I have faith. That what you say will happen. And then when he does have a son. And this is where we see this picture of Jesus. God says, take your son. 
to a mountain. And I want you to build an altar. And I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now for us, that's like, man, that's such a hard thing to even think about. I mean, why would a God of mercy do that? Because he wants to prove a point. He wants to demonstrate something to us. He wants us to see the faith of Abraham. In Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham went to the mountain and he, and he built this altar and he tied his son up and he laid his son on the altar and he raised up the knife and God stopped him. But if God wouldn't have stopped him, Abraham would have sacrificed his son. And this is why that Abraham said or was willing to do it. God said, I would be a father of many nations. And this is my first descendant. And if I kill this boy, God is so faithful that he will have to raise him from the dead to keep his word. Faith brought salvation to Abraham. Because sometimes we look at the Old Testament, like how do people get saved back then? They had faith in God in the coming Messiah. Man, you're talking about faith. So much faith, he said, I will let my son I will sacrifice, I will let him die so that I can see him resurrected. And it points to the fact that one day God would take his own son, take him to the cross and let his blood be spilt so that we could all have access to God. And that when he was put in the grave that he would come out and he would be resurrected so he could keep his promise. Paul said you're saved by faith. Not your traditions. Not, not, uh, he's saying Abraham wasn't saved because he was circumcised. He was saved because he had faith. He had faith. Do you have faith? Like, do you follow Christ? When, when God says in his word that here's what I need you to do. Because sometimes we, we, we think, I'll do whatever God tells me to do as soon as he tells me to do it. He gave you a whole book. Like sometimes like, I want to know God's will. Like 99% of God's will for your life is in the Bible. Look, is there a question if you're going to steal or not? There's no question. Why? Because the Bible says don't steal. Is there a question about, is it God's will for you to love your neighbor? That's not even a question because the scripture says, Jesus said, I'll give you a new commandment. That you love one another just as I've loved you. Should I serve or not? We don't even have that question. Jesus says, I should have been served, but I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant. That's not even a question. God's will for our life, 99% is in the Bible. And it says, Jesus says, you want to be saved. You want to have new life. His call has always been this, and it always be, same as he looked at his disciples, is follow me. The same way Abraham followed him. The same way that Joshua followed him. The same way that David followed him. The same way that Moses followed him. Follow him and your faith will set you free.